Well, good morning again. Um, if you're visiting here with us today, our pastor, as uh, Steve has already mentioned, is in, um, uh, is in Israel uh, doing a study trip there with uh, a number of students from the seminary that uh, operates here um, at Laramie Valley Chapel. And it's just such a, I don't know about you, but put it on your list of things to do while you have time on this earth to do it. Um, I don't know if you realize, but there's such a short period of time in history that you can actually go to Israel and actually see that land, um, uh, and it's an amazing thing. Uh, so uh, we do that trip every, every December. If it uh, is something that you're interested in, I'm sure those at the West Institute, Jeremy, uh, Clayton, and those could uh, kind of line you out on to maybe even what to begin to save for. I don't even think it's that costly. So, um, but might be something you save up for. It will change the way you read your Bible, let me tell you. Uh, it, it is, for me, my experience going to Israel was kind of like taking this black and white book and then looking at a black and white, we watched a black and white uh, Western the other night, my, my kids and I, the Rifleman, you ever watch that? It's awesome, man. So anyway, we watched it in black and white and my kids are like, what is going on? <laughs> something wrong with the TV? Right, no, but it's... <laughs> It brings into color all this stuff that is going on uh, in the Scripture, right? It just helps you to get a context for what God's Word uh, is doing uh, and saying to us. So uh, with that said, um, I am an associate pastor here at Laramie Valley Chapel. We have a number of pastors. Uh, We have Pastor Lynn Howe. Here with us, um, we have Pastor Sean Annist is here. So if you need anything after service, you want to come down, meet, talk, pray, we'd love to do that with you. Um, uh, but until then, we are going to study Psalm 33. So I started with that psalm this morning. So if you want to turn there, we're going to uh, take a look at that today. It reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, for praise from the upright is beautiful. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is right, and all his work is done in truth. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven, he sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually, he considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army, a mighty man is not delivered. By, by great strength, a horse is a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Behold, 
The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our hope and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Father, uh, as we consider this psalm, what an amazing thing that you have called us to rejoice. Uh, Not because, Lord, you have... Uh, or doing something either great or we're experiencing something great or, or not so great in our lives, Lord, but because you are God. We rejoice, Lord. We come together as your body, as your church, as those uh, who have been called out of this world to rejoice in you. Lord, that we might have lives, I pray, that reflect that. Help us today, help me, Lord, fill me with your spirit as I look to your word to encourage your people, to encourage myself, God, as we move forward into this time where we celebrate you coming to this earth. Lord, help us do this, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me ask you a few questions. I am doing this in order to to reset. We come to the end of this Uh, This year, I always start thinking about amazing things. It's kind of the end of the year, but we think yet about God himself who becomes a man. At the same time, we maybe think of all the things that have drug us down, and we might want to say goodbye to this year, right? And hello to a new one. But let me ask you some more personal things just about why you're here today. Are you here for your tradition? Is this just something you do before the Sunday football game? Is this something you do in your mind that maybe you just check off the list? I got my church done today. Well, I would warn you, the Bible would warn you in Isaiah, right, that the hearts of Israel had turned in this direction and they were offering sacrifices and burnt offerings and all these things on the altar right there in chapter 1. And, and those are all things that God had commanded Israel to do. But yet, what did he tell them? It is a stench to my nostrils. Beloved, we should never come to church just because it's something that we need to do, something that I got to check off the list on my way to do what I really want to be doing. We should come with this heart of anticipation of worship. Amen? Are you here because you're self-righteous? You think, well, I'm better than the rest of the world, I, I, and the reason I'm better is because I'm going to go to church today. Are you going to please God with your presence? Does he not know your heart? How about your lack of righteousness? Have you been living a sinful life? Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time. Maybe this is your first day to church. Just know that that the Bible very clearly declares that there is no good work, no church attendance, no affiliation with Laramie Valley Chapel, no affiliation with any denomination or anything that will save you. Only the atoning work of Christ on the cross will save you. If that's you today and you think that you're going to earn it, you're not going to earn anything. You will see that God has done all the work. And the Bible would tell you to just put your faith in the work that God has done and you will be saved. My deepest hope for you is that you have come to worship God in everything that you do here. Whether that is to maybe hold a door for somebody 
as they're coming in. Maybe uh, today you have already served in the children's ministry or on the worship team. Uh, Maybe you'll go outside and uh, comfort and say hello to people or help somebody up the steps. All of this is worship or help someone in need. As we consider this psalm today, we will see four reasons to rejoice in the Lord. The first is is, uh, the psalm is going to tell us rejoice in the Lord because the word of the Lord is right. The second reason that we should rejoice is because the Lord is all-powerful. By his word, the heavens and the hosts were made. The third reason is rejoice because man's plans don't thwart the eternal plans of God. Is that an exciting thing? As you watch the news, I watch very little of it, saints. It's so discouraging to me to watch the politicking and the grasping for power instead of for the goodness of man. God will not be thwarted with all this planning and all this scheming. We rejoice because his plan is eternal. And finally, and most importantly for those of us here today who are sons of God, daughters of God, God is merciful, he is a fortress, He is an eternal stronghold for those who fear him. My hope for today's study is that it will elevate the reason for which you come and gather here at this church. It is that that we are called to, to gather and worship our creator, is it not? Come and worship. Come and love on God's people. Come and worship the Creator. As we draw ever closer to celebrating God Himself, manifesting Himself. I so struggle with that word. You guys struggle with that word? Manifesting? God Himself, manifesting Himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Let us be reminded that God is God and we are not. God is Creator and we are created. Pause for just a moment and think we have what you might call a manger sitting out in the, in, the, um, in the connector out here. It's like this little wooden thing, right, where you might, uh, might look like a bassinet. Well, I want you to know, right, I've appealed to Paul and those who are in Israel. Will you bring home a real manger? Do you guys know what a manger is? <laughs> right? It's this stone trough. It's a piece of stone that they whittle out a trough, right? So what? Animals can drink water. Ponder for a second. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing was created that is created without Him. Jesus Christ Himself spoke into existence the worlds, the things that we experience. And yet He is going to humble Himself, as Philippians 2 says, come in the form of a naked baby, get laid inside a water trough for pigs and cows and sheep. And that's the Savior of the world. The Bible encourages us there in Philippians 2 that we should treat others better than we treat ourselves in light of this very fact that if God himself would humble himself to treat us that way, we ought to treat each other that way. Amen? When we come and we rejoice and we come to gather together as God's church, we come to worship, we come to give.
That is my hope and my heart for today. That is to worship our creator. It is because of this eternal truth that we come together. It is for who God is. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is holy, completely and totally set apart. He is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He is omni-everything. I read in my study uh, one commentator that it's actually, uh, and I, I totally agree, completely foolish for us to even try to ascribe words to these infinite values of who God is. How can we imagine that he, is a, he exists in eternity right now, but yet he is in time? He is not bound up. He's not moving from one person to the other. He is every bit as much in Sean right now as he is in the man sitting in the back seat. He knows all that you're doing, every cell in your body, every hair on your head, everything that is going on inside of time, outside of time. How should I explain that to you? That is God. It is who we come to worship. Amen? These are weak and feeble words. Infinity, eternity, holiness, some way for us to try to grasp who God might look like. Let's take a, take a look or actually just listen with me because I went a little long in the first service, so I'm not going to have you turn there. But in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, uh, verses 22 through 25, say this, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor has he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives all to all, life, breath, and all things. He is the source of everything. Everything you experience, God is the source, the life. Paul says here that God who made the world and everything in it. But pay attention here to verse 25. He says, nor is he worshipped with man's hands, although he needed anything. I want you to think about that, brothers and sisters, for just a second. God needed nothing. He doesn't need your worship. I hope that shakes you up just a little bit. We add nothing to God. Let that think, sink in for a second. We add nothing to God. God's not feeling lonely somewhere up in heaven or however you might try and describe it and then we worship a little bit and he feels better about himself. God is God. He is the producer of all life. We come and we worship not because he needs to be built up but because he deserves to be worshiped. Amen? God is God. He is completely content within himself. He needs us not. Our worship doesn't make him more God. Our service doesn't make him more powerful. Like Paul says, as though he needed anything. Our God needs nothing. We get to come. We get to worship. Because of his great love for which he loved us. We come and we set aside the burdens and the struggles and the health issues, right? And we worship our God. 
Amen? God is God without us. That is why the psalmist says we should rejoice in him. So I hope this has challenged your thinking a little bit. Hopefully it's reset kind of how you think about yourself and maybe helped you today to remember the the grandeur, (laughs) the reality of who God is and his infinitude, to set us right, that we might worship right, that we might hear this psalmist's heart. So let's take a look at it. Psalm 33, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James, so don't let that, don't let that uh, uh, bother you. Somebody came up to me, he's like, what version are you reading out of? But listen, your version's fine. It's probably better than mine. I like the New King James. I was uh, kind of raised on it. So here we go. Psalm 33, verse 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Let me ask you something, church. The word rejoice here is an important word. Is it an important word to you? Rejoice. I did a little study on it. In its strongest meaning, broken down, etymologists say that it is dance for joy. The command here, the psalmist is literally telling you, dance for joy. When's the last time you danced for joy? As you began to, yes, thank you for raising your hand. I see that hand. (laughs) your daughter, Sean, right? But the beauty of that, and I believe, right, that our kids get that. They unresolved. They're not bothered by what people might think about them. They might dance for joy more so than we would. But yet, here is the psalmist, right, saying, in light of God being God and us being us, dance for joy, rejoice in the Lord. Another A commentator says this, it's the strongest expression for lively expression. Goes on here, for praise from the upright is beautiful. See, we add nothing to God, but as God looks down through the lens and he sees us dance and rejoice in him, what does he call it? Beautiful. Praise the Lord. Verse 2, with the harp, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. I joke around a little bit with, with Steve. I, I think he's probably moved, moved on out of here, but, uh, and we'll be back. But Steve, our worship leader, as we talk about what service might look like on Sunday, we, we talked, and, and he made a short mention of, of the fact that um, it says here, for praise from the upright is beautiful, and uh, praise the Lord with the harp. And I kind of asked him, I'm like, well, Steve, where's your harp? <laughs> it says, make melody to him with an instrument of ten strings. Think of this. We have churches today that refuse to even play an instrument in the church, yet God's word is so clear. When our heart is right and we understand we, who we are and we understand who God is to the best of our weak ability, whatever instrument you have, <laughs> play it unto the Lord is the idea. Amen? Verse 3, sing to him a new song. This is an imperative, just like there is in, in, in English or Greek or Hebrew, any other word. This is a command. It's an imperative. Sing to him a new song. What of those who, who say you can do nothing but sing the hymns? Just sing the old ones. The new ones are no good. Right? God is commanding. He's saying, be creative. I am wonderful. I am awesome. Sing to the Lord a new song. 
Goes on to say, play skillfully. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully. You know that the New Testament commands us that when we come together to worship. If you, you don't need to turn there now, but in 1 Corinthians verse four, uh, chapter 14, verses 23 and 26 specifically, uh, Paul says this, if the church gathers together as a church, let each one bring a tongue, a psalm, a song, an interpretation. What is the idea there, church? Is you coming this morning about you getting something? Inevitably, you will. The purpose of us is that we are built up, that we are uh, to become mature in Christ. But look at the expectation. You come, you bring, and do it skillfully, Paul says. He says, do everything in order and neat, right? That it might reflect the Lord, that everyone might be edified. Play skillfully. Charles Spurgeon, the preacher, says this about this verse. It is wretched. I love his language, right? I'm going to try and get away with it someday. It is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly manner. It is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly manner. When's the last time you used the word slovenly in one of your sentences? I haven't used it either, but let me tell you something. It just doesn't sound good, right? <laughs> so Spurgeon says, uh, it is wretched to hear God praised in a slovenly manner. He deserves the best that we have. Every Christian should endeavor to sing according to the rules of the art so that he may keep time and tune with the congregation. The sweetest tunes and the sweetest voices and the sweetest words are too little for the Lord our God. Let us not offer him limping rhymes set to harsh tunes and growled out by discordant voices. Play skillfully. Sing well, church. Come and worship our king. All things are in church are to be done skillfully. And listen here, it says, with a shout of joy. With a shout of joy. Uh, is there any Army veterans? Raise your hand if you're an Army veteran. I'm going to raise mine because I am. This is a little younger crowd, not to mean there's not, but uh, just two of us. Okay, how about, oh, three. Jack Settlemeyer coming in strong. Army behalf. How about Navy? Any Navy? Raise your hand. One, three to one. You're in trouble. How many of you watched the Army-Navy game yesterday or are aware of it? Oh, yes. And so... Uh, now, let me help you. You're a young crowd, not too maybe in tune with this deal. But Army-Navy game's a big deal. You guys realize that? Happened yesterday. So uh, I'm going to help you in this little hymn, right? We're going to shout, shout this out, right? Are you ready? And so you, you just say this after me. Go Army. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> now I know I'm in a Baptist church. Are you ready? Go Army. Go Army. Beat, Navy. Beat Navy. Sorry. <laughs> if, I, if Sam Martin was here this morning, it would be go Navy, beat Army, right? He's not, so he's probably cringing right now for some reason in St. George, the pulpit. He's just like, wow, something happened. Listen to, what, uh, listen to what the Denver Post says this morning about the game yesterday. Army coach Jeff Monken hopped on top 
of a wall and pumped his fist toward the stoked cadets set to belt out the alma mater. Monken brought the party to the locker room and waved the army football flag as the Black Knights bounced around him. Can you imagine the scene? Army ditched its mundane routines and cut loose like a bunch of rowdy civilians. And why not? The setting was right. What is the setting for us this morning? That we might come with a shout of joy. That we might rejoice in the Lord. That we might sing a new song to our King and our God. Saints, how much more should we lift up a shout of joy than those who are bouncing around, right? Because they won a silly football game. We get to bounce around in joy for eternity with our God. Because God is God and we are not, we should dance for joy, the scripture says. Sing a new song with skill and a shout of joy. Well, I told you there were four reasons. The first is this that the word of the Lord is right. Look at verse 4 there. It says this, For the word of the Lord is right. The word there, the very first word is for. I'm sure that's what all of your translations have, but I will tell you uh, that it can be translated because. They mean the same thing, right? The writers are just trying to make this beautiful. It is a song. And so for the word of the Lord is right. But let me just tell you, in order for us to see these four things, we should dance for joy. We should sing a song. We should, we, we should shout, right? And the next word is because. So we get these reasons why we should do this. And that's what we're going to take a look at. The word of the Lord is right. We should do these things because the word of the Lord is right. And this anything-goes Western worldview that we live in, postmodern, nothing's right, nothing's wrong, live however you want to live, right's left, left is right, boys are girls, girls are boys, and we're told to expect that, then that's the truth. This book has sole authority in the Christian's life. It is not the opinion of a man it is the very word of God. It grounds us. It's our fortress. It is the only thing that is immovable in an immovable world. Lest we think that the inspiration of the scriptures was something nominal in experience. Look at what the prophet Jeremiah's experience of the word of the Lord coming into him was. It was a wearisome thing, saints. This book didn't just come about, God induced the Spirit of God into men who wrote. Every prophet of the Old Testament starts something like this, and the word of the Lord came to. And you turn to your epistles, Paul, an apostle. It's the same. It's the same literary term that sets them apart. It's not a normal thing. Look at what Jeremiah says. and You don't have to go there, but Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 7. I love that Jeremiah takes just a moment and he expresses uh, in his heart of hearts, he's definitely a feeling kind of guy, so grateful for that in all the prophets because he, he takes just a moment and he gives us a feeling for what it looks like for the word of the Lord to come on to a man. It says this in verse 7, O Lord, you induced me. 
if you're a lady and you've ever been pregnant and ever been getting ready to give birth and things are getting late and that causes all kinds of health problems or concerns, the doctors will do what? They've got drugs and they'll come along and, and they will put those drugs into your body and it induces, right? It forces your body to go into labor. That's the language that's being used here that Jeremiah says. He says, Lord, you induced me and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I and I have prevailed and have prevailed, excuse me. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. Can you feel Jeremiah? He's going out, right? He's literally being forced to speak these words, and people hate him, and his life is being threatened, but he can't stop saying what God has put inside of him. For when I spoke, he says in verse 8, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made to me a reproach and a derision daily. Pay attention here, saints, to verse 9. Then I said, listen, (laughs) Jeremiah says this, I will not make mention of him, that's the Lord, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. The book that you hold in your hands, that's how it was produced. The prophets, the apostles, weren't just having a good day and thought they had a little time to write So they jotted down a few things. The Spirit of God induced these men to write these words. They are not normal. They are not natural. They are right out of the throne room in heaven. I tell my boys this. I've heard, I've told you guys this before, that if you want to, if you were sitting today in our living room with God and asked him, what would you say? He would say, I would say this. The word of the Lord is right. It is truth. It is what we can put our feet on. If it goes, then so do we. And all his work, it says there in verse 4, is done in truth. Verse 5, he loves righteousness and justice. Interesting, right? Our righteous acts don't build God up. We've already expressed that, right? But he loves it, that we would do it. And guess what? He also loves justice. When we look at the things that go on in the world and we have very little to no control over any evil thing, what I can take solace is that I know that God is a just God and he will judge that justly. Amen? The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. One writer said this, Come hither, astronomers, geologists, Naturalists, botanists, chemists, miners, yea, all of you who study the works of God, for all of your truthful stories confirm the earth is full of the goodness of God. Just last week or two weeks ago, whenever we were at Thanksgiving, my parents had on Blue Planet or Planet Earth, one of them anyway, and I am always fascinated. I love to watch all that. Unfortunately, it's done through this lens of evolution, but... I find it so amazing that, you know, how the, I don't know, what is the guy, kind of a British guy, I don't know, English guy, something, but what's his name? David Attenborough, right? He just, his voice kind of draws you in, and you just look at this stuff, and it's like, whoa, this is amazing. (laughs) Well, right, even though it's through this evolutionary lens constantly, I love he got to this one place where we're looking at something in the ocean, and 
And this came out of his mouth. And this we have no way of explaining how it became to be. Right? Out of his own mouth. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. God is God, and we are not. We should dance for joy. We should sing a new song with skill and a shout of joy because the word of the Lord is right. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his goodness. Another reason that we should rejoice in the Lord is verses 6 through 9. It says this, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. My preparation for this, I was listening to some preaching actually on uh, Job chapter 38 and following as God is responding to Job and essentially asking him, where were you, Job, when I spoke the universe into existence? Well, in light of that, this preacher used this story and I'd like to, to, to uh, not make light of it, but share it with you. There was a believer who was a physicist and an astronomer. He went to one of the world's finest watchmakers and asked him to design and build a working model of our solar system. It would have to follow all the intricacies, the rates of rotation, some planets going clockwise, others going counterclockwise, some rotating on their side. It would have to follow all of the, intricacy, the intricacies of each moon doing the same thing, passing by one another, some in one direction rotating one way, others the other. It would take this watchmaker years of painstaking work, but he said that he was up to the task. Years and years later, this astronomer, this student of God's creation, sat like a proud grandpa in his living room observing the masterpiece of which he had paid a heavy price. While doing so, he heard a quiet knock on his front door. He answered to his friend and fellow colleague, an unbeliever, who came in and immediately was entranced with this piece of artwork. He couldn't help but ask, who made this? To which his believing friend responded with a sparkle in his eye, no one. It just appeared. Romans 1 says that the world suppresses the truth, I would say, in their willingness to be unrighteous. They know by creation God says he will judge because he, you know that you know that the worlds were spoken into existence. And you have to suppress that truth in your desire for unrighteousness because God has put it in you. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made and all the hosts by them, by the breath of his mouth. Verse 7 says, he gathers up the waters to the sea as a heap. He lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. I think to my brother and Pastor Sean here that we would love to recover the biblical idea of fear. It literally is fear. Peruse your way through any 
person who has experienced or got to see through the matrix of this world, be it Ezekiel or Isaiah or John in Revelation, and find out what happens when they get a vision of heaven, and they hear the voice like many waters, and they fall down like they're dead. That's not reverent fear. That's fear. And God is going to judge, and we should be fearful of that, and we should be warning our friends and our our neighbors and our family that that is no joke. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. God is God, and we are not. We should dance for joy. We should sing a new song with skill and a shout of joy because the word of the Lord made the heavens. Another reason that this psalmist says that we should rejoice in the Lord is because, verse 10 and 11, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. I've already said it, but if you watch the news, it's a weighty thing. I, try, I just try not to do it. And we listen to all the counsel of the nations and what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing and pay these taxes and don't pay those. Take over this country, don't take over that one. Listen, we go about today, maybe you, uh, your plan is to go to McAllister's or, or uh, to Nebraska, or I don't know what it is, but have you considered what the will of the Lord is for you today? James says this in chapter 4, verse 13, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. When we gave our lives to Christ, listen, believers, we gave it away. I ask, should I spend this money? I ask, should we go to this place? I ask, should we do this in ministry? Because it's the will of the Lord that I'm concerned with. In the end, that's all that's going to matter. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. God, through James, is calling the church to recognize that, that the only will that is going to happen in this life is God's will. Verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling place, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. If any of this is making you uncomfortable, it should. The Bible says that God fashions your heart to get his will done. God is not confined to the will of man. He made them. He is in them, and he understands us all. No king, it goes on to say, is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is a vain hope. 
for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. Even when the world looks like everything's going our way, we're Americans, we're the big dog on top. Listen, if you put your hope in that, the Bible says it's a vain hope. Our hope is in the Lord. Amen? God is God and we are not. We should dance for joy. We should sing a new song with skill and a shout of joy because the counsel of the Lord will stand forever. It is not temporal like ours. We've made it to the final reason for dancing, singing, and shouting. We should do all this because of God's unending, unending mercy. Amen. Folks, recover in your hearts a biblical understanding of mercy. Recover in your hearts a biblical understanding of manhood, what it means to be a human being, separated from God, but because of his mercy, because of his love, that he has loved us. That is our fortress. That is our strong tower. That is the only thing we can run to. There is no righteous thing that we can do. So we come, and why do we praise? Because there is nothing we can do. We praise. It's, it brings us to this beautiful place in our lives where we recognize there's nothing I can add to God. There's nothing I can do to deserve his favor. There's nothing, 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 right? But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love of which he loved us with, Ephesians 2. Verse 18, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. Do you fear the creator who can destroy both body and soul? If not, you should. God is not a liar. He is going to judge. He has earned that right on the cross. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. This is to say that God is our strength. God's eye is on those. Church is for us, saints. It's for us to come together. It's a place for us to worship. It's a place for us to come and sing and, and serve together and love the Lord and reflect his love and glory to a world. And his eye is on you specifically because of his mercy. It says that there, doesn't it? Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy. Hope is inescapably a word that screams to the future. If you are a believer, you are hoping in God's mercy. In other words, your only hope for eternity is the attribute of God's unchangeableness, his immutability, in that he is merciful. Mercy is undeserved grace. Verse 19, to deliver their soul from death and keep them Alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. King David uh, penned Psalm 18 too. It says this, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Do you know what it is to have a fortress? One that's unmovable? one that will never change because it's built in the character of God. If you 
reach out today. Today, maybe you are not a believer. You do not know Christ. You have not accepted him as, as your Savior. Well, that's mercy. God has given his son to have mercy on you. And as simple as it seems, we cannot work it up in our own minds. He just says, if you will believe that, confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, not you might be saved. He says, you what? Will be saved. God's mercy is a fortress. We rejoice because we can trust in his character. God spoke it, and it is so. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. Now, I apologize for my cold and my, I feel like I'm talking into a rain barrel. Maybe I am. Um, but do this with me, will you? Repeat after me. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us. just as we hope in you. Now, raise your voices a little bit. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us, just as we hope in you. The Bible is calling us to rejoice, to sing out loud, to dance, to shout for joy, because God's mercy, his hope is everlasting. You see, God is God, and we are not. We should dance for joy. We should sing a new song with skill and a shout of joy because uh, the word of the Lord is right, because the Lord is all-powerful, and by his word, the heavens and the hosts were made, because man's plans don't thwart the eternal plans of God, and finally, because God's mercy is a fortress, an eternal stronghold for those who fear him. My hope today's, for today's study is really that you might go away from here excited about what it means to rejoice, what it means to come to church, to bring all that you have to worship him, what it means to get to want to worship our God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and giving me, Lord, just strength to make it through uh, these services, Lord, as you know, I've been ill. Lord, but your word is not ill. It is strong. Lord, I pray that as your saints, as your people, we would meditate on this psalm this week, that we would return to it time and time again. We would find our joy and our peace, our stronghold in you, who are our mercy and our strength, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for saving us. And with that, Lord, we say amen.